Welcome everybody to the Judges on Fire podcast from the Tech Trailblazers. Uh, if you enjoy this, please leave a review at the end and um, follow us on the Tech Trailblazers social media, Tech Trailblaze on Twitter, and you'll find us on LinkedIn as well as the website. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Jeff Vance. So Jeff is a man behind the big 50 and we're delighted that he's joining us to judge uh, the networking and hopefully if he has time the big data category so welcome Jeff thank you for joining us today thanks for having me I appreciate it Rose brilliant well you're joining us from the states and perhaps you could kick off with I'm sure a lot of the listeners will already know you Jeff from your work with Network World and the big 50 but could you just give us a potted what what does Jeff do and how have you got here? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Rose. Um, I'm, I've been writing about technology trends for 20 years or so. I, my first big role writing about technology, I started way back with my um, first job out of college with the PBS station. I just, as the young guy, I got assigned the tech and science uh, <laughs> um, uh, subjects because nobody else was comfortable doing them. And then that just kind of... Uh, uh, metastasized uh, maybe isn't the right word, but we'll go ahead and use that. That metastasized into me just writing more about tech as as my career advanced. Um, and I started editing some um, insider investment newsletters back in the early 2000s as the uh, dot-com bubble was still inflating. And then that just pulled me into this startup world. And so I've been writing about startups for a bunch of publications. Your um, your listeners would know about um, anything from Network World to CIO to Forbes to Wired. But I also, um, so I, I've kind of had a, a strange role as a freelancer. It's hard to make a living as a traditional freelancer, just writing stories. And I learned that very early, right, back in the early 2000s. Um, and so, you know, as a free, my early freelance career kind of ping pong back and forth. I would be a journalist for a while and then I would get an offer that was too good to refuse. And then I would go inside a startup for a while and, and help them with things. And, and then there was also this kind of hybrid, there were hybrid periods where I'd be doing a little of each, you know, and, and not always startups. You know, I've worked with very uh, uh, big companies. Um, Plenty of which are, you know, plenty of brand names like Cisco and Microsoft. Um, so I, I've been doing that for about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years doing that kind of hybrid model. So my site startup 50 and my big startup report, the big 50, the way those started is I was, you know, anytime I would write a startup roundup for a publication for Network World or CIO or something, um, to get 10 startups, you have to evaluate. 20, 30, sometimes 50 or more startups. And there was just a lot of good information and good content there that was, I didn't want to just go to waste. So yeah. this whole project that I'm doing with the Startup 50, my the way I uh, do contests to bring startups into my ecosystem, that all started kind of as a side project to just try to figure out like, what can I do with this stuff? How do I make this batch of these batch of startups that I'm evaluating that I'm looking at how do I give them more time to maybe maybe gestate a bit maybe get their business model a little further along maybe um, 
plug the gaps in their portfolio for why I wouldn't include them in a roundup. Um, and then it also gave me an ability to track and watch them, you know, through various um, through various techniques, you know, just um, just getting them on email lists and things like that, so you can track and keep keep tabs on their progress. So so now it's turned into a, a much bigger thing, you know. Now the the startup fifty and my big fifty competition are my big core things I do every year, and and I kind of consider I still the right for third party publications, but um, that's a little bit more like um, my marketing in a way, you know, um, it's just keeping my name out there and keeping me, um, keeping me, uh, keeping me top of mind to the startup community. Now that said, I still get, to, I still love to dig into uh, feature articles every now and again. I just did a, a big one on how startups are navigating through uh, the COVID-19 pandemic for network world. So I, I, I never want to give that stuff up. It's, you know, I like doing the investigative, work and everything but but yeah now my uh my, now my main challenge each day is uh figuring out new ways to put startups through challenges to um <laughs> surface the things they don't necessarily want to tell you about so that you have you can identify them that's always the trickiest thing about um about or i shouldn't say identify so you can evaluate them that's always the trickiest thing about startups is so much of what they do is still proprietary or private or you know they don't want to talk they don't have the reporting requirements of public companies so how do you know that anything that they're telling you is true and that's that's kind of been my challenge <laughs> from day one with covering startups and I've come up with a lot of uh, tricks and hacks and secret methods for doing that and um, to date it's been working pretty well and and um, and I'm pushing it into new ways uh, with this current uh, right now the uh, 2020 competition is open so I have a new batch of startups that I'm challenging this year. Fantastic. Well, it sounds like, you you know, your side hustle, as everybody likes to call it nowadays, became your main hustle, which is a very exciting. That's, that's uh, yep, that's a much more concise way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a headline type of girl. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from, from your perspective, I mean, what are you going to be looking for? I don't want you to sort of share your secret sauce for the, the big 50. Of course, I do want you to do that, but I wouldn't ask you to do that. What kind of things are going to make you excited? I mean, obviously, for the tech trailblazers, we look at a particular type of startup. We're looking all at the enterprise tech, sure. trade, which is, you know, your home too. You know, we share that, that world together. Uh, we're looking at people who are Series C and below, but also privately funded, so seed funding, so very early on um, in their startup yep. journey, yep. some of them. Um, and, you know, we look at for the ones that aren't fire starters, so the fire starters are two years, up to two years old and haven't received VC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so obviously they're very much right, right. a proof of concept. They've just come through MVP in full probability. Right, right. So, you know, they're not going to be able to talk about how they're penetrating the market. They'll be talking about how they plan right. to. But obviously for the others, you are going to be looking at how they fit into the world as it is. And let's be honest, that world has changed considerably. And I think what you're yeah, saying absolutely. Just absolutely. for Network World is probably going to be fascinating as well. So if, if that's already been published, it'd be great to just get a little synopsis of that at some stage. But from your perspective, what's going to, what's going to get Jeff excited when he sees one of our Tech Trailblazers hopefuls entry forms? What gets me excited, I, I mean, there's no, I, I wouldn't 
there have been plenty of startups that look like they could change the world and they're massive. And until they start doing it, it's just not, there's so many things that look good on paper that flop in the real world. So I look for those signals that point to viability. Okay, so you're talking about under two year startups. Now my system's set up so I might miss some of the newbies, um, uh, you know, that dorm room just startups. Because I look for- can I just clarify this real quickly? Because I might be confusing yeah. you here. So the fire starters is one of our categories. The remainder, which yeah. is I think where you will play, which is the ones who have, oh, right. you know, maybe got their first one or two rounds of funding and are up to sort of yep. maximum five years old. So as long as they haven't had their sixth birthday, so they haven't had six candles gotcha. on the cake yet, then we're going to be talking to them. So that hopefully clarifies what you might be looking for now, because hopefully if they've got to that stage, they will have that type of traction in the marketplace or beginning to get that kind of traction. Yeah. Well, yeah. So when I look at newer startups, um, it, it depends. You know, I, I would evaluate a Series B, a Series C startup differently than a, a Seed A startup. But A is kind of a decent seed round or a good, a decent A round. That's kind of, for me, the starting point when I start paying attention. Before that, I just kind of have startups a little bit on my radar. And just look, but what gets me excited are those, uh, the things that signal to me that there's um, the, the potential for viability. Um, mm -hmm. So I look for various track records. So what's your, what's your team look like? So has your team done it before? Do they have the right experience from the space? When a startup is newer and they're pre-MVP or right about the MVP time, uh, you don't, won't have as many data points. Now, as the startup gets older, I look for third-party data points. Do you have, have you raised enough funding? Do you have enough runway to get to, um, to, get to some degree of market penetration? Um, do you have the right systems and teams in place? You can't always evaluate the systems, but you can look at the teams and see where they came from and make some, make some deductions about what their systems probably are. But for the newer startups, you don't have a lot of that stuff. You know, if the startups have been around for three years or four years and they don't have a reference customer, that's a problem, you know? So I look at those, I look for those signs of third-party validation. Um, and I also look for any sign that proves to me that they would, that they are positioned, that they have the, the what it takes, the infrastructure in place to achieve viability, assuming that their technology and their solution is the right one. Now that brings me to the second thing, and this is kind of my secret sauce, and I don't really mind revealing it because it's it's no big secret, and it's just harder to uh, get startups to really zero in on this new thing. What mm -hmm. I really look at is, do these startups understand the customers and the customers' pain point? So if they don't understand customers' problems, if they don't understand why, and if they can't articulate why why a, a buyer is going to choose this over the status quo because change costs are always a big deal. Um, change costs, I'm including just changing your daily routine, going into a different browser, a different, going to a different website to accomplish what you did through some SaaS service versus what you used to do through your enterprise portal or what have you. You know, those are those change costs matter as well. Um, I look at things like are they identifying, are they selling to the right? People, do the people they sell to, do they have budgetary authority? No, what's their plan for then attracting both? You know, so I look at some of those nuts and bolts things of basically, do they understand the customer? Is the pain point big enough that somebody is going to 
pay to have this solved. And then there are, there are enough of those paying people to create a viable market. That's what I look for. And those are the things I really push on. So, you know, I always ask the new startups to um, estimate market size. Well, sometimes they're in a new space. And so you have to have those different things, you know, like when I was in, when I was working um, in startups and I was working with, in, uh, I was running the marketing for Ariaka and SD1 startup, the way we always estimated the SD1 market was through MPLS, which was the technology we would be replacing. Now, there were other technologies that uh, SD1 can encroach on, like VPNs and stuff, but just MPLS was a simple, easy, um, an easy reference and MPLS was saved. We would look at that and say, you know, we're saving them so much money. It's a no brainer for most of these branch offices. So we would just say, yeah, the MPLS market is 1 billion and that's what our addressable market is, but it's growing because, you know, the world is going more and more online. So I look for those type of things, you know, and I also look for, I also look for a bunch of negative data points as well. So if a pre-product startup call it, tells me they're a leading provider, that's, that's, a big, that's a big red flag. You're not a leading provider. Whoever is telling them to do that is giving them bad advice. Oftentimes, I find that that comes from the CEOs who don't understand what good marketing and PR look like. But honestly, the PR pros who are allowing them to do that and are agreeing to do it, frankly, I think it's malpractice. <laughs> but I look at those things that, that tell me, is this startup? telling the truth? Are they on the level? And I don't mean to say they're liars or whatever, but they're in that marketplace where everybody, you're in a noisy marketplace. So some people are able to, if you have a good solution, you're able to just kind of hype it up as in like, hype it up based on its merits, or is it empty hype? So I'm always looking to separate that hype with substance versus the empty hype. And I have a lot of tricks to do that. But that's one of the big challenges with startups though is can you believe what they're telling you? Because, you know, a lot of times if you've got your early funding on hype, well, what do you think you're going to keep doing? <laughs> you know, and we have a lot of those frothy markets that are, are that become really hot for a time. And, you know, VCs get pressure too, you know, and so they like, oh, hey, do you have a, do you have an AI play yet? And they don't have an AI play, so they feel like they have to get a couple on board. So, you know, a lot of garbage can get funded. So I, I'm always trying to separate the hype from the substance. And that's, that's really the, that's the core of what I do and, and come in my various methodologies are trying to do that. So you're blowing the froth off the coffee cup of the startup world. Doing my best to see if there's anything, <laughs> if there's any coffee remaining down there <laughs> and how strong it is. It better look dark. <laughs> Weak sauce once all the frost sauce. Definitely, definitely. So um, these caffeine fueled startups, hopefully, we'll have a, a lot of those for you to to have a look work, look at in a networking category. And, and as you say, your your pedigree, where we I think almost crossed paths because Ayaka was actually our networking winner two years in a row, I believe, when we first kicked off in 2012, 2013. So, um, yeah, so interesting. That's account. kind of funny. So, yeah, I, I would have been probably just doing some freelance copywriting for Ariaka in that time frame. And then um, I think it was around 2015, 2016 were the years I was running their marketing for them. Yep. So very close. We just kind of 
missed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but there was probably a lot. Who knows? I might have even uh, I, I might have even edited their entry. I don't know. I don't remember. I was what wondering. I, was doing like I didn't. Then, I didn't want to put that one out there, but quite possibly. But you know. Maybe you were one of the reasons why they win because you were making sure that there wasn't who, any who there was only nice dark rich coffee on the show. So that's good. So uh, if we may, I'd like to sort of dive into because unfortunately we are in a very challenging time, a very volatile mm -hmm. time, a very uncertain time, which for startups is very very challenging in some ways. The ones that already have the funding, they're now looking at the sales pipeline and ensuring that that goes through and that a lot will be pivoting to respond to the changes that we're seeing at the moment, the, as we were talking about before the podcast started, about the working from home, you know, the, the dining table warriors versus the road warriors. Um, what, what were you seeing? Um, what, what have you been seeing in this sort of, this, this COVID? 19 impacted world that we're all living in at the moment? Well, of course, um, anything that makes networking uh, work better is, is getting attention. Uh, you know, the teleconferencing space is, is definitely heating up and there are some problems there, you know, like Zoom, which we're on right now. I, I would advise against using that because there are problems with, and I'm not making this up, Chinese espionage, of course, as with TikTok. So, we're in a weird information space right now. There, we're entering a, um, a, and this might sound like it's ancillary to our discussion, but it's really not. We're entering a new era of great power competition between the China, Russia, and Iran on one side, and and the U.S. and the EU on the other. Um, and there's and there's just espionage um, is riddling certain areas of tech, and uh, teleconferencing is one of those. Social media is another. And then as we saw with Wu Wei, 5G infrastructure is another, you know, Wu Wei was basically creating these listening posts through 5G inter, uh, infrastructure and, and um, uh, the United States. And I think the UK is on board with this now. They were dragging their feet a little bit, but most of NATO allies now, you know, have, have disallowed Wu Wei in their, uh, in their country networks. So you can't overlook that stuff, which has accelerated, um, during the pandemic because everything is so virtual so virtual is now the big attack vector so it's not just about people staying home it's it's about all these other things you know do, if i'm a startup i would be very reluctant to um, have any kind of sensitive meetings with vcs or what have you on zoom because then uh china has shown that a large part of their the way they're keeping their economy propped up is through through uh, IP theft. So I wouldn't want my startup secrets on any of these teleconferencing apps unless they were very vetted for end-to-end -end encryption or, uh, you know, so I would definitely be vetting the security protocols. That's, that I think is heightened, but you know what, I've been, um, I've been kind of uh, uh, rattling the, rattling people's cages about bad security since I, I got into technology and, and, that's always kind of a, uh, yeah, we'll get to that tomorrow thing. <laughs> That's always one of those things that until the crisis is on your door, people seem to still give it a little short shrift. But as far as the pandemic goes, you know, uh, what I saw in the investment community is there was a pause. Um, and, you know, uh, the VCs looked at their existing portfolio and just uh, triaged it, you know, um, 
uh, who, who do we need to fund to get them to through this pandemic? Who's doing okay? And maybe we just need to give a little reinforcement or give a little more hands-on mentoring and stuff. But then after the pause, which lasts maybe, you know, a month, six weeks, uh, funding's, funding's happening. It's a little more, it, it, we're, we're in a down market, so it's not as robust as it was. But if you have a, if you have a good technology, a good product um, that taps into an existing proven market space, you can still get funding. It's going to be more difficult. And then I think some of the other difficulties are things you just don't think about until you start thinking through like what it takes to form a company. So, you know, definitely now when I look at startups, I would definitely, um, I would definitely, if I'm evaluating them, I would give more weight to the startups with teams that have worked together before, you know, it's going to be easier for them to keep those same kind of um, rapport virtually because they know each other, you know, so uh, startups are just facing new challenges. How, and, and these new challenges, some of them hit the incumbents every bit as well. I mean, and, and that's the thing. These are double-edged swords, you know. So incumbents have some real legacy baggage now that um, that it, startups don't. If I'm a new startup that's 100% virtual, I'm not paying for commercial real estate that's sitting empty, you know. Um, so it's it's a different challenge right now. But then, you know, the, the incumbents have already you know, hiring is a real difficulty during uh, during a pandemic. You know, and so that's a that's a, ch- a challenge that's harder on the startups than an incumbent. Even if the incumbent's bringing people in, they still have bodies there. They have an established culture. Um, they've already, you know, usually their virtual hiring is just changing. You know, the the step two or, or two of the final steps rather than you know the whole coming up with the whole process. So. So I don't know, for startups, I think I look at at what we're going through now as startups are all, their job is to disrupt things. Their job is to go in and find where the problem points are, where the inefficiencies in the market, the, you know, their, their job is to find the sclerotic monopolies and knock them over. So I think what you get in a, in a time like now, in a pandemic, in a time of entering a, you know, Cold War 2.0, is it's a, it's a more it's a more chaotic time. And, you know, to, to quote a uh, game of Thrones, you know, chaos is a ladder. Um, and I, so I think it's a really good time for startups. They're going to face different challenges, not the ones they necessarily prepared for three years ago, but, um, but they're ones that are ones that they can tackle as good as anybody else. You know, the incumbents and some of the advantages of incumbents having big retail spaces, things like that. They're just out the door right now, so so it's a different time, and I think we're I think it's not just the the startups figuring things out. I think the whole economy is figuring a lot out on the fly. You know, just even local stuff, going to the grocery store. Uh, how much can are restaurants going to be viable in the next five years? You know, if you can only be a third capacity, there's just a lot of stuff for all of us to figure out right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, interesting enough, I was. Um interviewing somebody else who's a VC in the UK, but is also very much involved with mm-hmm. the Accelerator program. And his view is, and it'd be interested in your, what you're seeing, is that the VC um, funding, as you say, kind of took a little short pause. But one of the areas that he's seeing um, an awful lot of impact, and certainly in the UK, which is where his focus is, is on the seed and the angel investment. 
because that's a lot more yeah, personal yeah. and that is people's own money versus a fund which is being given to the VCs to manage. Um, so right. are you seeing any impact on that where we're anticipating or he was anticipating? Honestly, I'm not, I am not tracking. I don't track the seed and, and really early invest. I tend to track at A and beyond. Yeah. So uh, I'm not tracking the seed stuff as much. Um, I may see that uh, my startups eventually have to reveal a bunch of data to me um, during the competition. So I may see a bunch of uh, crowdfunded ones. I mean, I am seeing that you know, just as stuff that's pitched to me. So I'm not really like quantifying the data, but if you just go by my inbox and what I'm seeing, I'm mm -hmm. seeing a normal flow of stuff that comes from like Kickstarter and things like that. Um, yeah. So the, the series A funded trying to, or the seed funded stuff that's trying to pitch me, that flow seems to be about the same as it was before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I have seen a couple new um, VC funds uh, launch. So there's still stuff going on. It seems like uh, people can still raise money. Um, and one difference though, I did see, and I think this was a trend that's maybe just accelerated, but it was already starting to happen. The one that comes to mind is there was a new VC fund um, just launched uh, to target Seattle tech startups. Um, so I think that could be a new wave right now. That one thing that, one way that will get around uh, the pandemic is by going local again, you know, so you can't meet everybody, but then do you, does the whole world have to be what you focus on or should you focus closer? So let's see, what was I just pitched today? Yeah. Uh, a new venture fund called Fuse Venture Partners, which will uh, focus on Seattle based um, AI and uh, machine learning startups. So, you know, stuff's still happening out there and they're focusing on, um, on, uh, seed and Series A companies. So, you know, they're early and, and uh, definitely focusing on that kind of stuff. So I, I don't see venture capital dry. This money still has to go somewhere. You know, I mean, when you have wealth, when you have the, the wealth disparity we, that we do in the developed world in the capitalistic market, you know, that money at the top has to go somewhere. It just doesn't sit and collect dust. So I don't see I, I only see the VC world kind of taking a pause, reassessing, but I do think there could be like a, a, a return to local might be one of those things. And I think that could happen. Um, you know, I, uh, you look at some of the um, traditional businesses that are coming back, like butcher shops, butcher shops, are you know, uh, you might go to your grocery store and, and beef is like, you know, $10 because there's a shortage that week or what have you. But then you go to the local butcher shop, it's cheap, it's local, and it's, uh, and it's better quality. So I, I could see a return to local happening as a result of this pandemic. And, I, and on one hand, it's great for startups to say we want our talent from anywhere, but there might be some local opportunities there that they, they might want to focus on early, especially when they're still in that, you know, that phase of needing to establish, establish a beachhead, get those first customers, get those first customers on the record and stuff. So. I don't know. I think we're all figuring out as we go along, though. But but you know, there are some early signals that that some things might be a little different on the other side. And I think globalization will get some get some breaks thrown on it. We'll get a regulator on it anyway. So how that's going to play out, how serious that'll be, hard to say yet. I mean, if the pandemic only lasts another, you know, until the end of this year and then it kind of dies out, then I think the the effects will be blunted if it's if this takes us 
two or three years to get through, then some of those grooves are going to be pretty deep, you know? Mm, yeah. Well, I guess we'd have to come back next year and sort of reassess that particular side of things, but yeah, which we may well do, which we may well do. So, um, oh, right, right. Uh, other than obviously sharing some of those sort of insights, which are fantastic, is there anything else that you think would be good to share with, you know, the listeners, you know, a lot of them who will be hopeful about success within the Tech Trailblazers and hopefully also within the, the Big 50 uh, at this time? I would just encourage startups to avoid, the, avoid hyperbole as much as you can and, fo- you know, focus on the steak, not the sizzle. Because then if you have a good cut of steak, the sizzle will take care of itself. You know, that takes care of itself the minute you throw it on the grill, you know. So focus on that. And the only way to get there is to really know your customers inside and out. Know their pain point better than they do. So if you're the startups that that really resonate with me, if I go, and let's say in the old days when you could go to a conference, if I'm waiting to talk to a, a CEO of a startup and I'm able to listen in on the on the a meeting before I go in and I hear them describe the customer's problem in words in, in a depth better than the customer can describe it themselves. You got something there. Most startups don't take it. Most startups have that, but they, they have a hard time taking that understanding from the, from the founder level and then transmitting that throughout the ranks. And that throughout the ranks, and that goes to their service providers well, as well, especially PR. If your PR team, which is kind of your, the tip of the spear for you introduce, be interacting with the world, if your PR team can't articulate your value in a way that, that matters to your addressable market, to your target market, to your ideal prospects, you're going to get lost. You're not going to make it. You know, in tech, a lot of tech founders and, and um, technologists like to believe that the technology, the best technology wins. That is absolutely not the case. <laughs> I mean, one of the best examples of that is Betamax versus um, VHS. Although, look, you can make a, a lot of arguments on the VHS side, you know, cost, convenience, things like that. But, um, but the best technology doesn't always win. But what has to be there is a, a method for talking to your prospects in their language and in a way that makes sense to them. And in a way that makes the buying decision an emotional and almost an inevitable one. So that once they take your new whatever, your new uh, networking gear and put it in their network, they think, uh, or hand it off to you with all these SaaS plays these days, they think, how did I ever get through the day before? You know, um, why was I doing it the old way? I would never go back to the old way. If you can't do that, then you're probably not going to make it as a startup, you know, so... uh, so it's really about that being able to being able to read the prospect's mind because you've studied the prospect so much, you know what they need, you know what their pain points are. And and that's that seems like the simplest thing to do. I mean, for most founders, that's a layup. That's why they started doing what they they did. But then that connection, that empathy for the customer gets lost somewhere along the way. It gets lost as the, the team scales up and there are all these outside pressures to, you know meet your numbers and, you know, get this case study done and get prepped for this conference or whatever. So, um, so that's really what I look for. Does the startup understand the customer and can they articulate that? Mm. Easier said than done. Yeah, definitely a challenge. Definitely a challenge. So, well, we look forward very much to your views on our 
our entrants as they come in over the, the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, it's been Sounds great good. you've been able to join. I'm looking and, forward to it. Yeah, likewise. Looking forward to working closely with you on that. Um, so thank you, Jeff, for joining us on the Judges on Fire podcast from the Trailblazers today. Um, yeah, we great talking with you, Rose. I've enjoyed it. Fantastic. Likewise, likewise. Uh, and listeners, if you've enjoyed it too, then please leave a review and follow us on social at Tech Trailblaze and on Tech Trailblazers Awards on LinkedIn. And uh, we'll be yeah. And your to... listeners can watch. Oops, sorry, I've stepped on your uh, <laughs> stepped on the end no, of that. Go I just ahead. Your, uh, your listeners can watch how I evaluate startups as the um, startup. 50 competition rolls on. They can watch it in happen in real time at uh, startup50.com. Fantastic. That sounds really good too. Thank you, Jeff. We'll catch up with you soon. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Thank you much, Rose.